0: Feels like progress. The Chime credit bill Visa credit card is issued by Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. Members of FDIC. Out of network ATM withdrawal and OTC advance fees may apply. Terms and conditions apply. Go to Chime.com disclosures for details. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, click or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. One, two, three, and... Hello and welcome everyone to Okie Investigations. My name is Trevor Shelby. I'm an Oklahoman who loves to investigate crimes that's happened in my state and across the United States. I have a bachelor's degree in criminal justice and a love for true crime. The stories that are featured on this show are true stories. The narrative of each story comes from extensive research through police reports, trial notes, appeals, personal counts, news reports, and much more. Parts of the story may contain opinions and speculations that should be taken as such. For more information on each story, join us on our webpage, truecrime.blog where you'll see some of the cool things that we've gathered while researching this show. This includes a timeline of events, newspaper clippings, court documents, and much, much more. Come and check us out at truecrime.blog and our Facebook page, Okie Investigations. These stories depict violent crimes of all types and may be a trigger for some listeners. Listener discretion is advised. I hope everyone is well, I've been doing pretty darn good myself. I'm glad that this heat from summer is almost over and we have some lower temperatures coming in. I really love this time of year. It's also the spooky season, so I've enjoyed working on those stories as well. I hope you've all enjoyed them so far. I know last year, the first year we did the spooky stories, it was a lot of fun, and then this year we found a few that I thought were just perfect for the show. The case that we're going to feature today was not really on my radar until recently. I wrote about a story around the same time frame, and the two actually crossed paths at some point, point. and I jotted down the names for this case. And when I start doing my research, I was actually surprised I had not heard about this before. I don't know why that still surprises me. There's a lot of Oklahoma crimes that have just been forgotten through time. This is a fascinating story. So let's get to it. Vacations are extraordinary, especially if you're in a relationship. If done right, they rejuvenize yourself and keep things fresh between yourself and your spouse. My wife and I go on multiple trips a year, uh, primarily cruises, and it's something that we're able to use to focus on us and our lives together. But there are two sides to every coin. Although I've never experienced it, I'm sure that stressful, abusive, hateful relationships get amplified when you're stuck together on vacation with no real escape. This is precisely what we're talking about in the story. Today we're talking about the 1939 unfortunate fate of Julia Abbey. Warren Abbey was a unique man with big ideas. He lived in Louisiana and grew up working on a farm. So he decided that being a farmer was how he was going to live his life. But one thing that's not really discussed enough is being a farmer is hard work. And there's not a lot of money in it. Most of what you earn goes back into the farm. And hopefully there's enough left over to feed your family for the following season. Warren struggled to survive and make it on his own. As the only person on the farm, things were very difficult. So Warren decided that he would do what he could to continue farming his land and get help from those around him who also wanted to make some money. So Warren started a cooperative farming plan. He and other farmers would work together to help farm their crops. Together, they would be able to plant more produce than they would when they were working alone. Then, they would then split the profits when the crops were all sold. This is not really a new idea, but when you live in an area with established farmers who are already doing fine on their own, then you start running into problems getting them into the mix of it. Warren pitched his idea to several farmers who were just not interested in this concept, and some who were open to hearing about it once it was a little more ready to get off the ground. One day in 1935, Warren was reading the newspaper, and he noticed an advert for a matrimonial agency that would put their clients in touch with each other for price. Warren, who was in his 50s, didn't plan on having kids, but if he met the right person, perhaps they could work together and get his idea of the co-op farming off the ground. Warren contacted the agency almost as soon as he read the advert. Within a week, he had a list of women who were all looking for love. Each woman had a description listed along with their age, occupation. Uh, One name stuck out among the rest, Julia Barr. Julia was about 20 years his senior. She was in her late 70s at the time. She was somewhat successful, having run her own drugstore for many years and according to her advert she had over 300 thousand dollars to her name warren was attracted to that kind of success the only hitch was julia lived in arkansas so the two started writing to each other warren and julia both had a lot in common and they seemed to get along just fine julia didn't expect to meet someone much younger than her but She was pleasantly surprised that they could fall in love. As time went on, they started talking on the phone. And then Julia began making trips to Louisiana to stay with Warren for short periods. As the months went on, Warren discovered that Julia had some land that she wasn't using and was just sitting on to sell someday. Warren was struggling to get his co-op farming idea off the ground, and he began to think that if he were able to advertise in the paper, he would reach more farmers, and perhaps get more to sign on to his idea. So Warren asked Julia for a little bit of money to help out. Julia, being supportive, sold some of her lands and gave the proceeds to Warren, in hopes that it would help him out. Now, shortly after this, in January of 1936, Warren proposed to Julia when she had come for another visit. She said yes and they decided to marry right away. They went to the courthouse and made it official. Warren asked that they keep it a secret for now. Julia had a son who would probably be alarmed that his mother had run off to another state to get married and they wanted to do things right at a later date and have a big ceremony in the church then. But that big ceremony, it never happened. It never does. For the next three years, the couple stayed living apart and keeping their marriage a secret. This bothered Julia, who was not a young woman by any means, and she decided that if she were going to be married she would live with her husband. Warren was reluctant to this idea at first, but Julia told him that she was going to sell her store and the land that she owned. After that, she would contribute that money to paying off Warren's farm and getting him set up a little bit better. Now, after hearing this, Warren was all for the idea. After Warren told Julia that it was okay to move in, there was really no going back. Julia began to get ready for the move, the first and most significant step was her selling the drugstore. This store had been successful and helped Julia support herself over the years. But when it came time to sell, the only offer she received was not what she quite expected. She was offered $1,500 for the store. $1,000 would be paid in cash, the other $500 would be carried on a note owed to Julia. Since this was her only offer, Julia accepted it. She then used that money to help move to Louisiana. As promised, she gave Warren $533 to pay off the mortgage to his farm. And then she bought a car for $260. Julia moved in and they quickly got their affairs in the order. They both signed last wills and testaments that stated that their spouse would inherit their belongings if anything happened to each other. They then decided to take care of the rest of the land that Julia owned. According to what she thought, it was worth quite a bit of money. Julia estimated that was probably worth about $10,000 due to the zinc that was in the land. So they planned a vacation and a road trip across the United States. Their first stop would be in Arkansas, where they would sell the rest of Julia's land. They would then travel into Oklahoma and head down the historic Route 66 and make their way to California for their vacation. When they got to Arkansas, they surveyed the land that Julia owned. It was not as lovely as Julia had thought. Their dreams of a $10,000 windfall were quickly dashed. The land was almost worthless. Some of her best offers were $3 an acre. In hopes of saving their vacation, Julia tried to cash in on her $500 note, but could not. So with little else to do, they drove into Oklahoma, hoping that they could make it okay with the money they had at the time. Warren and Julia began bickering at this point. Warren felt like he had been lied to, Julia presented herself as well-off, and he found her to be nearly penniless. As they traveled through Oklahoma, they stopped at a tourist camp in a town called Bridgeport. Today, this town is considered a ghost town, with about a hundred people that still live there. Back in 1939, it was quite the town. Resting right on Route 66, the town had boomed due to the railroad and highway coming through the town. On October 6, 1939, Warren and Julia got up and ready to get back on the road. The morning temps were about 70 degrees, and they knew it would be a hotter day than usual. As they got back on Route 66, they started their way towards Clinton, Oklahoma. It would take them a little bit over an hour to get to Clinton, but only one of them was still alive. The Abbey's car flew into the parking lot of a gas station in Clinton, Oklahoma. Warren Abbey got out of the car and quickly ran to the attendant. He told him that there was an accident and his wife needed help really bad. The attendant looked into the car and knew that they needed help quick. He told them where the local hospital was and how to get there. Warren took off right away to get Julia to the hospital. When Warren arrived with Julia, the emergency staff knew that there was not much they could do at this point. She was dead, and they were too late to be able to help her. Dr. H.R. Cushman asked what happened. Warren was quick to answer. They had got a flat tire and they pulled on the side of the road to get it changed. Warren was getting the spare out and was working on getting the car jacked up when he asked Julia to get out of the car so it wouldn't fall if she moved. She got out and was standing on the road. A large truck came speeding through. They must not have been watching because he hit Julia. But instead of stopping and helping, the truck driver just kept driving. Now, a hit and run is something that they have seen before at the hospital. But there was something different about this case. When Dr. Cushman inspected the wounds on Julia, they were centered around her head. To the doctor... It looked like she had been beaten over the head with something. The hospital staff alerted authorities about Julia's death, and they relayed their fears about what might have happened. Officers arrived at the hospital and brought Warren into the station. Warren repeated the story about the truck coming and hitting Julia. He said the vehicle didn't stop, and he knew he had to get some help. He told the officers where it happened on Route 66, and they immediately went to see what they could find. Now, at the spot where Warren stated Julia was hit, officers found nothing. No blood, no broken glass, no tire marks that might suggest someone hitting their brakes hard. Nothing. So they walked down the road, one officer heading down towards town, and the other one walked away from town. The officer who was walking away from town spotted something glinting in the sunlight in the distance. He called for his partner to come back when he realized what it was a pool of dark red blood. They noted down the evidence and they began searching the area for anything else. Just 40 feet away from the blood pool in the road, they found a wrench that was also covered in fresh red blood, and hair the same color as Julia's. Officers gathered this evidence and brought it back to the station. They then went to inspect the Abbey's car before they wanted to confront Warren with the wrench. When they got into the car, they found blood inside. They knew Julia had been transported in the vehicle to the hospital, the blood splatter patterns on the outside of the car looked like the trauma happened right outside the vehicle and not on the road. Officers also found a gun in the backseat of the car. It was loaded and tucked under some clothing. Detectives stopped being friendly and kind to Warren Abby. at this point. They had put together what had happened, and they were ready to confront him with the evidence that they had. They first asked him what really happened, so they again could hear the statement about his wife being hit by a truck. They noted that down, and then they revealed that they found the pool of blood, and showed Warren the wrench they found at the scene. Warren lowered his head and didn't say anything. The officers continued to press him on the evidence. Doctors believe that the wounds were not from a truck, but from a blunt object hitting someone over and over. They then talked about the blood splatter on the car. It looked like she had been hit by an object right there and not on the road. Warren finally broke. He began to sob. He was starting to tell the officers what happened on Route 66. Warren said they were about 10 miles from town and they were in an argument about money. This had become typical for them. Warren wanted to turn around and give up on the trip to California. They just could not afford it since she had lied to him about how much her land was worth. Julia then accused Warren of loving the idea of his co-op farming business more than he loved her that he was only using her for the money he thought she had. That is when she told Warren she was going to shoot him. By this time, Warren had stopped the vehicle, and they were standing outside on the road. Julia reached to open the vehicle's backseat door, but Warren fought her back from getting the gun. That's when he grabbed the wrench, and he hit, Julia over the head with it. Warren told officers it was at this time he completely blacked out. He does not remember hitting her anymore after that first initial blow. When he came to, Warren freaked out because he realized that he killed Julia. He threw the wrench off the road, and then he went back to Julia to see if he could do anything to help her. As she lay there bleeding out, he realized she was either dead or close to it. There was nothing he could do. That's when Warren said he came up with the idea of his wife being hit by a truck. He thought it was a believable story. Officers immediately arrested Warren Abbey for the murder of Julia Abbey. Warren Abbey would have several days to think over what he wanted to do in court. He was arrested on October 6th, and his arraignment was on October 11th. When he was brought in front of the judge, Warren was asked what his plea would be. Warren said, not guilty. The trial was set for December of the same year. Warren hired attorneys Mitchell and Mitchell to defend him. Now, I had to do a little digging to find more information on Mitchell and Mitchell, and I found a book titled... The Chronicles of Oklahoma. I've cited it as a reference because it contains a lot of helpful information on their firm. E.L. Mitchell was a former district judge in the state of Oklahoma. When he stepped down from that position, he opened his own firm with his son, Norris Mitchell. They took on cases where people needed help but couldn't pay due to the Great Depression. Instead, they took payment via barter. They also liked to take on issues that seemed very difficult, like the one with Warren Abbey. It was already known from Warren's statements that he planned to argue that he had gone temporarily insane when he beat his wife to death. The first thing the attorneys tried to do was get the venue changed for the trial. Warren's actions and confessions were all written about in the local paper. It would be hard to find anyone who didn't already know about the case to be a juror. The motion was denied in the court. The judge believed that because Warren and Julia Abbey were from out of state, no one had anything against them because they didn't know them. Yes, some jurors might have read the story, but That was just not enough to change locations. On December 12, 1939, the trial began. The state opened by calling several witnesses to the stand that saw firsthand what had happened to Julia and its aftermath. They set the scene before the murder and had the gas station attendant in Bridgeport, Oklahoma, testify that he saw Warren and Julia leave that early morning. He saw nothing out of the unusual. Then, the prosecution called the gas station attendant in Clinton, Oklahoma, to tell his story of how Warren Abbey quickly flew into a station, asking for directions to the nearest hospital. The prosecution then brought the doctor on, who examined Julia and pronounced her dead. He described the wounds on Julia and how he knew she was not struck by a truck. They then showed a photo of Julia to the jury. This was not a nice photo. This was a photo of her in the morgue. The defense argued that this would create bias towards Warren, but the judge allowed it. One by one, the jury had a chance to view a photo of Julia Abbey and her wounds. After this, officers were able to tell their part of the story What Warren had told them and how it didn't match up at all with what they found. They introduced the wrench into evidence and then Warren's signed confession. The prosecution then wrapped up with their last witness. Julia Abbey's son, Dr. Austin Barr. Dr. Barr was successful. He was a physician in Arkansas. He was well-spoken and made an excellent witness to how the relationship really was between Warren and Julia Abbey. The doctor explained how much stress his mother was put through keeping the marriage a secret. Dr. Barr was worried that she was being taken advantage of when she started selling everything. But he was also happy that they would be living together after all these years. He broke down and started to cry when he spoke about the last time he heard from his mother and the hope that her marriage would finally be something more. Now, at this time, the prosecution had rested, and it was the defense's turn to call their witnesses. The defense only called two witnesses. The first one was Warren Abbey himself. When Warren took the stand, he started from the beginning of the relationship. He explained how they met through the agency and they quickly fell in love, how they married and kept it a secret. Julia had lied from the beginning of the relationship, or she stated that she was worth over $300,000 and she was about to get even more money. But after they were married, He found out she was only worth a fraction of that. He then explained the road trip and how he wanted to turn around and just end their marriage. When he told Julia this, she reached for where the gun was stored and said that she would shoot him. Warren explained that he was afraid of his wife and was only defending himself when he struck her over the head. He then blacked out and couldn't remember hitting her any further. He went temporarily insane. Warren began to weep and sob through the rest of his testimony. Their second witness was Warren Abbey's first wife. She was just a character witness for the defense. She stated that they only divorced due to general differences. He never struck her or threatened her. She did think that he cheated on her, but later found that to be untrue. She didn't think it was in Warren's nature to do something so wrong on purpose. The jury was handed the case on December 16th, and on the 17th, they had reached a verdict. They found Warren Abbey guilty of murder. They recommended death as a punishment. The court accepted and set the date of execution for March 15th that next year, but, as always, Warren was given more time for his appeals. One by one, they were all struck down. Just after the stroke of midnight... On August 29, 1941, Warren Abbey was led into the death chamber, where the lecture chair awaited. The crowd that showed up was only his attorney and several reporters. It was reportedly the smallest turnout for an execution. Warren was asked if he had any last words. Warren then spoke to the crowd. I just don't think it's right for them to execute me. I'm not a criminal at heart. I'm being murdered for an act that was forced on me. My conscience is clear. Warren was then strapped down. Electrodes were put into place. When the switch was flipped, it took one minute and 57 seconds to kill him. Now, this case was widely forgotten through time. Warren and Julia Abbey died in the state that they never lived in. They both paid the price for their actions. Sadly, Julia was so willing to go along with Warren and his scheming. She didn't leave him when he kept their marriage a secret. She didn't turn on him when he was obviously trying to sell everything she had for a quick buck. But love can make you turn a blind eye to things. Then when reality hits you, you always feel so stupid for putting up with everything for so long. Unfortunately for Julia, she never realized what Warren was capable of. Just a reminder. In the state of Oklahoma, divorce is like 50 bucks. It's always better option to go through the divorce than to kill your spouse I hope you all really enjoyed this show if you did make sure you leave a kind review reviews help out the show more than you know if you haven't already make sure you subscribe so when new episodes come out you will be the first to know we've got a lot more really good stories coming up so I will see you all next time see ya Save a little more this month. Chime checking accounts have features like fee-free overdraft up to $200 with SpotMe and no monthly fees. Open your account in minutes at chime.com slash goals24. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank NA or Stride Bank NA members FDIC. SpotMe eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card.